Chapter Thirteen, Part Two of The Young Railroaders. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Young Railroaders, by F. Lovell Coombs, Chapter Thirteen, Part Two. Disappointment, however, quickly gave place to a flutter of interest when the rear door opened, and preceded by Jack Orr there swept down the aisle a tall, venerable figure in flowing robes, white-bearded, spectacled, and crowned with a tall conical hat bearing strange hieroglyphics. When, on Jack stepping aside and taking an unobtrusive front seat, the aged professor mounted the platform and solemnly surveyed his audience, titters, then a burst of laughter swept over the schoolroom. The long yellow robe was covered with grotesque caricatures of cats, frogs, dogs, cranes and turtles, interspersed with great black question marks. The famed Oriental turned about toward a table, and the laughing broke out afresh. In the center of his back was a large cat's head, with wonderfully squinting eyes. When the cat slowly closed one distorted optic in a wink, then smiled, there was an unrestrained shout of merriment and those who were not excitedly inquiring of one another the identity of the seer, settled back in their seats expectantly. Placing the table at the front of the platform, the professor again faced the audience, and with dignified air and deep tragic voice addressed them. "'Ladies and gentlemen, the chairman have spoke. I am Mahmoud Click, the great seer, the great mind-read. The great bump read, the great profess. Laughter. I am the seventeen son of the seventeen son of the seventeen son, and also have I bring for do the magic pass, thrusting a hand within his robe. Tom the terrible, the son of Tom, the son of Tom. The hand reappeared and placed on the table a tiny black kitten. The burst of laughter which greeted this was renewed when the tiny animal began making playful passes at a spool on a string which the dignified professor held before it, remarking, "'See, the magic pass!' "'Now Tom the Terrible will answer the question, and show he understands the English,' the magician announced, at the same time swinging the spool out of the kitten's sight." "'Tom, how old are you?' The spool was swung back. The kitten began again hitting at it. Solemnly the professor counted to twenty, and whisked the spool away. Twenty year! Correct!' "'You see, ladies and gentlemen, the venerable cat, he cannot make mistake,' he observed amid laughing applause. "'Now, Tom, tell some other ting.' "'How old is the chairman?' indicating the dignified elderly man at the farther end of the platform. Five, "'Correct.' "'You see, he always is right, yes.' "'Now, Tom, how old is the Reverend Mr. Borden?' Seven, "'Correct again.' When the laughter which followed this demonstration had subsided, the professor took up a new line. Earlier in the evening a certain John Peters, one of the town's foppish young gallants, and who now occupied a prominent front seat, had widely announced the fact that he was present for the express purpose of showing the mind-reader up. 
At him, accordingly, the first quip was directed. "'Now, Tom, tells the audience, how many girl have Mr. John Wilberforce Peters?' was asked. "'What? None?' For the spool being held out of sight, the kitten gazed before it stolidly, without raising a foot. "'Well, how many does he think he have?' The spool being returned, the kitten tapped it ten times, paused, and struck it eight more, while the resulting wave of amusement grew, and the overdressed object glowered threateningly at the figure on the platform. "'And how many will he marry?' "'What? Not one?' "'Well, well,' commented the seer, to further hearty laughter. "'Now tell us about some of the young ladies,' the professor went on. "'How many bows has Miss K.O.?' While Kate Orr bridled indignantly, the spool was lowered, and the kitten tapped several times on one side, several times on the other, then, to an outburst of laughing and clapping, sat up and began hitting it rapidly with both paws. "'I was unable to keep the count,' announced the seer. "'But apparently about the seventy-five. Miss O, she is popular with the young men, yes.' "'And now, Tom,' continued the magician, "'how many special lady-friend have Mr. Cumming, an extremely bashful member of the choir? Twenty-two. "'And how many young lady are in the choir? Twenty-two. "'Ah!' "'A strange coincidence,' observed the learned professor, amid much merriment. With similar quips and jokes the mind-reader continued, then giving the kitten into the charge of a little girl in a front seat, announced, "'Now I will read the head. Will some small boys please come up and bring their heads and bumps?' Coaxing finally brought a half-dozen grinning youngsters of eight or ten to the platform. From the pocket of the last to respond protruded the unmistakable cover of a dime novel. Him the professor seized first, and having gravely examined his head, announced, "'Ladies and gentlemens, for this boy I predict a great future. Never have I seen such sign of literary taste. Yes, he will be great, unless he go west to kill the Indian.' and the Indians see him first. On turning to the head of the second boy, the phrenologist started, looked more sharply, and slowly straightening up, announced, "'Ladies and gentlemen, I have made the great discovery. This boy some days you will be proud to know. Never have I seen such a lovely bump, for eats the pie, and any kind of pie you will name.' He don't care. He will eat it. And so, to continued laughter, he went on, finding remarkable cake bumps, holiday bumps, and picnic bumps, and proportionately underdeveloped school and chore bumps, with the exception of one glowing example, which finally proved to have been developed by a baseball bat. Then came the mind-reading. Placing a small blackboard on the front of the platform, facing the audience, the professor seated himself in a chair ten feet behind it, and invited someone to step to the board and write. "'All I ask is,' announced the mind-reader, "'please write not too fast, and fix the mind on what you write. And by the thought-wave will I tell it, letter by letter.' 
The first to respond wrote the name of his father, a doctor. Expecting only some humorous guess as to what was written, the audience was somewhat surprised when the professor spelled out the name correctly, only adding the humorous touch of mud, hastily corrected to M.D. And, as others followed with figures, and more difficult names and words, the interest of the audience began to take on a new tone. The last of the first party which had stepped forward to write was the overdressed young man Alex had poked some fun at, and who was bent on showing him up. He wrote, You are a faker. "'Explain to the audience how I do it, then, Mr. Peters,' retorted the professor. In some confusion Peters sought his seat, and the minister approached the board. The interest of the audience had now become serious and silent. Even Kate Orr, though knowing there was trickery somewhere, was nonplussed. For Jack, in the front row, appeared as immovable and as frankly interested as those about him. Loosely folded in his lap was a newspaper which for a moment attracted Kate's suspicious eye, but watching closely she saw not the hint of a movement that might have been a signal. The minister's first word was the name Hosea. This was promptly called off, and the writer went on with others, gradually more difficult. Finally, in rapid succession, one under the other, he wrote, Zedekiah, Aholibah, Nebuchadnezzar. As readily the figure on the platform announced them, and the reverend gentleman turned away with an expression frankly puzzled. "'Pardon me, Mr. Professor, but since this is genuine mind-reading, of course you could read just as well with your eyes blindfolded, could you not? Would you kindly give a demonstration that way?' It was Peter's. There was immediate clapping at the suggestion, and calls of, "'Yes, yes, do it blindfolded!' In alarm, Kate, from her seat, gazed toward Jack. To her surprise, he was one of the most energetic in clapping the proposal. The professor himself, however, was plainly disconcerted, to the particular delight of Peters and his circle of friends, who, as the mind-reader continued to hesitate, clapped more and more loudly. Finally the seer arose. "'Well, ladies and gentlemen,' If you wish, certainly, though I do read just as good with my eyes open." This negative statement brought further derisive laughter and clapping from Peters and his friends, which was added to when the professor continued, "'Will some young lady be kind enough to lend me the handkerchief, the tiny little one with plenty holes all round?' Peters was again on his feet. "'Here is one!' It was a large, dark neckerchief, obviously brought for this very purpose. As Peters stepped forward and mounted the platform, the professor removed his spectacles with apparent reluctance. Broadly smiling, Peters threw the folded kerchief over the mind-reader's eyes, saw that it fitted snugly, and tied it. "'Now we've got you, Mr. Smart, of Constantinople,' he whispered derisively. "'Have ze good time and laugh while you may,' responded the professor, and raising his voice he asked, "'Will someone kindly bring ze glass water? Mine reading, it is dry.' It was Jack started to his feet, passed down the room, and returned with the desired water. Watching, Kate expected to see a consultation between the two boys, 
as to some way out of the apparent difficulty. Jack, however, merely placed the glass in the extended hand, and received it back without the exchange of a syllable. Not only that, he returned to the back of the hall, and instead of resuming his seat at the front, mounted to a window-ledge at the rear. "'Well, I am ready,' announced the professor, "'and I make the suggestion that Mr. Peters himself write the first. The latter was speedily at the board. As he wrote, a silence fell. Previously the professor had called off each letter as written. This time there was no response. With a smile that gradually broadened to a laugh, Peters finished an odd Indian name and asked, "'The thoughtways haven't gone astray already, have they, Mr. Professor? Haven't been frightened off by a mere handkerchief, surely?' "'I was wondering how to pronounce it,' came the quiet response. "'I'll spell it instead. It is M-U-S-Q-U-O-D-O. B-O-I-T. Peters stared blankly, not more blankly than the majority of the audience, however, including Kate herself. She turned toward Jack. He appeared as surprised as Peters. Indeed, if there was anything suspicious, it was that Jack appeared a trifle over-astonished. As the burst of applause which followed the first surprise was succeeded by a wave of laughter, Kate turned back to discover Peters, very red in the face, drawing on the board a picture. As she looked, a grotesquely ugly face took shape. The face completed, there was a renewed burst of merriment when Peters topped it with a fool's cap, and on that sketched rough hieroglyphics. "'Now whose picture have I drawn?' he demanded loudly. "'Well, you tried to draw mine.' responded the professor, dropping into normal English, but as the dunce's tie is far up the back of his collar, I leave the audience to decide whose it is. At this there were shouts and shrieks of laughter, and Peters, hurriedly feeling, and finding his own tie far out of place, threw the chalk to the floor and dashed back to his seat amid a perfect bedlam of hilarity. The uproar soon subsided, however, for not one in the crowded room but was now thoroughly wonderstruck at the demonstration. Some of the older people began to step forward, writing the most difficult names they could think of—meaningless words, groups of figures. A teacher chalked a proposition in algebra. Without error all were called out promptly. The climax was reached when one of the church elders advanced to the board and while writing fixed his eyes on something in his half-opened hand. Without hesitation the blindfolded unknown announced, "'Mr. Story is writing the name of one of the apostles, but is thinking of a penknife.' The clapping which followed was scattered and brief. "'It's simply uncanny!' exclaimed one of Kate's neighbors. Kate, glancing back toward Jack, shook her head. Up there, in full view— she could not possibly see how he could have anything to do with it. At this point the minister again stepped forward. "'Will you answer a few questions?' he scrawled. "'With pleasure, Mr. Borden.' "'How old am I?' Forty-nine next September.' The minister ran his fingers through his hair perplexedly. "'How old is Mrs. Borden?' There was a slight pause, then in gallant tones came the answer, Twenty-two. 
Amid a renewal of laughter and much clapping from the ladies, the minister was about to turn away, when on second thought he turned back and wrote, Name the Twelve Apostles. For the first time the learned seer displayed signs of uneasiness. After some stumbling, however, he completed the list. With a twinkle in his eyes, the preacher inscribed a second question. Name Joshua's captains. Professor Click cleared his throat, ran his fingers down his beard, moved uneasily in his chair, and at length, while a smile began to spread over the room, shook his head. "'But I'm thinking of them. Hard,' declared the minister, chuckling. The professor was again about to shake his head, when suddenly he paused, then replied boldly, "'Shem, Ham, Hezekiah, Hittite, Peter, Goliath, Solomon, and Pharaoh.' It was during the shouts of merriment following this ridiculous response that Kate's mystification began to dissolve. Glancing again toward her brother, she saw that, despite a show of laughing, there was an uneasiness in his face, similar to that shown by the professor, and when presently she saw him cast a covertly longing eye toward a pile of Bibles in the next window, she turned back to the platform, silently laughing. She thought she had discovered the source of the thought-waves. The success of the brazenly invented answer to the last question, meantime, had quite restored the professor's confidence, and as the minister went on he continued to respond in the same ridiculous fashion, claiming, on the minister's protest, that he was only reading the thought-waves as they came to him. And finally the pastor laughingly gave it up. At the next and final demonstration, mystification of another kind came to the observant Kate. Rising to his feet, the mind-reader announced that he would now inform a few of the stronger thinkers before him the subject of their thoughts, and both in his manner and tone Kate noted an unmistakable nervousness. Glancing toward Jack, she saw that his face also was grave, and with a stirring of apprehension of she knew not what, she waited. "'The first thought which reaches me,' began the professor, is from Miss Mary Andrews. Miss Andrews thinks her pretty toque is on straight. It's not quite. I think one pin is coming out. Following this laughingly applauded reading, the speaker informed Miss James that she was thinking her lace collar was not loose behind, which was quite correct, as also was Mr. Storey's impression that there was not a long blonde hair on his coat collar. There was not. Then Kate distinctly saw the speaker take a deep breath. "'Mr. Joseph Potter is a strong thinker,' he proceeded. "'I read several thoughts from Mr. Potter.' The old farmer, to whom the whole performance had appeared as nothing less than magic, leaned out into the aisle, breathless and staring. "'It seems to me, Mr. Potter,' the mind-reader went on, it seems to me you are thinking about some important business deal, some big deal concerning land. The old man's mouth opened. Also, it seems to me that this land may be worth a great deal more than— There was an exclamation, a commotion, and Burke, the real estate man, was on his feet. 
A moment he stood staring, as though doubting his ears, then catching up his hat he said in a loud voice, "'Come, Mr. Potter, we must go. That other engagement, you know, I had forgotten it.' The old man sprang up, and brushed Burke aside. "'Go on! Go on!' he cried toward the figure on the platform. The startled audience gazed from one to another. Several arose. "'It seems to me,' resumed Alex quietly, "'that there is a waterfall on your farm, and that—' "'Hold on there! Hold on!' The words came in a shout, and springing into the aisle, Burke strode toward the platform, purple with rage. "'What do you mean? What are you doing?' "'Who is this man?' he demanded, at the top of his lungs. "'I demand to know. What does he mean by—' Swiftly hobbling down the aisle behind him, the old man attempted to pass. Roughly Burke pushed him back. The minister stepped forward. "'Mr. Burke, what do you mean?' "'What does this man here mean by—by—' "'Yes, by what, Mr. Burke?' "'By making reflections against me,' shouted Burke. "'I demand an explanation. I—' "'But, my dear sir, I am sure nothing was said.' The old man dodged by, ran to the edge of the platform, and cried in a thin, high voice, "'Do you mean my farm? My farm that Burke wants to buy?' There was a momentary silence, during which here and there could be heard long, indrawn gasps. Then abruptly Alex tore the bandage from his eyes, swept off the hat and beard, and stepped to the front. "'There need be no further mystery about this.' he declared in a grimly steady voice. "'On the train this morning Jack Orr and I accidentally overheard—' From Burke came a scream. He sprang forward with raised fists, faltered, and suddenly whirling about, dashed down the aisle for the door, and out. And in the breathless silence which followed Alex completed his explanation. As the old man climbed the platform steps and extended a shaking hand, the applause that burst from every corner of the room fairly rattled the windows, and as the uproar continued, and Alex sprang hastily to the floor, he was surrounded by a jostling, enthusiastic crowd of strangers from whom in vain he sought to escape. Some minutes later, enjoying tea and cake in a circle which included the minister, the latter smilingly remarked, "'But you haven't yet explained the rest of the mysterious doings, Master Alex.' Aren't you going to enlighten us all around? Prefer to keep it a secret, eh? Well, if you will promise us another exposition, I'm sure we will agree not to press you," declared the minister heartily. And as a matter of fact, save Kate, no one has yet solved the mystery, not even the janitor, although, on cutting the grass a few days later, he picked up beneath one of the schoolroom windows an unaccountable piece of fine copper wire. End of chapter.